Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Happy New Year and welcome to the Everything Everyone podcast with me, James Tiller, and alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we do have Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? Hello, I'm well. How's about yourself? Yeah, really good. Happy New Year. Oh, uh, thank you. You too. You had a good Christmas and New Year. Obviously, you told me just before we started the recording that you had COVID. Dun, yes. dun, dun. The dreaded COVID. But other than that, did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, unfortunately for me, COVID wasn't such a big deal. I know some people still get quite sick with it, but, you know, I was a wee bit achy. It wasn't great for a day or two, but other than that, it was fine. Uh, but how was your Christmas? Did Father Christmas empty his sack onto your carpet? <laughs> he certainly did. I got whiskey. I got some. I got some. A couple of McLaren T-shirts, Star Trek, Star Wars stuff, the usual geeky things that I like. So can't nice. complain at all. And if you're if you're watching, I've also got new. I have to wear a coat because I'm in the garage. But if you look, I've got the the, the golf, golf livery. One. Yeah, you got the golf one. Yeah, yeah. I got a few T-shirts for McLaren. I got an Aston Martin T-shirt as well, which is mm-hmm. good. I did try and get the golf one when I looked because I thought, oh, I'll see if it, but they were all sold out. My wife must have got the last one. Well, we're not the same size as I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you're being cheeky or whether or not. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward. We've also got a new member of the team that's joined us today, and his name is Connor. Hi, Connor. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, great to be on. Yeah, I myself have not been too great over Christmas. The flu bug has hit me as well, so... Oh, dear, yeah. dear, dear. Uh, Was it man gonna... flu or actual flu? Well, my family <laughs> seems to think it's man flu, and my employer seems to think it's man flu, but I myself, is it's definitely the flu. But, yeah, apart from that, it's been a great, great Christmas. Did you get any F1-related Christmas gifts? I did, yeah. Santa Santa did deliver this year. Got cool. a few, you know, few t-shirts and things Senna I'm a huge Senna fan nice jumper and a few books as well I've, I've been meaning to read John Barnard's book The Perfect Car and I, I was lucky enough to get that as well so yeah cool. reading that excellent well that's great well happy new year and I hope you've all had a great Christmas those of you who are listening and I hope that Santa brought you lots of lovely Formula One goodies too Right, so what all this podcast is about today is any of the news that's dropped over the time that we've been away. Now, we, we've only had through two, three weeks off. Two weeks off, Coops, was it? Two weeks off. Our last yes. our yes. last podcast was indeed the Mario Andretti podcast. If you haven't listened to that, it was an absolute pleasure to do that podcast, getting to speak to such a legend of the sport. And it's a really great show. We we we, we were all just so happy to to be speaking to him really so if you haven't heard that go and listen to it because he's it's great he talks about 
absolutely everything from his career. Talks about his son, Michael, about his potential for him to be joining F1. And there's been news even today about the FIA opening up the ability for more teams to apply. So, well, first of all, go and listen to that podcast if you haven't already. And let's talk about that news article that has literally just dropped a few hours ago as we record this on Monday evening. So the FIA has opened up the desire for more teams in F1. That can only be great news, can't it, Coops? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it is, but it isn't. As long as we don't get the three teams that came in the last time, which were Caterham, Virgin, and... Um, oh, what's the other one? HRT. The, HRT, that's it. As long as they're not mobile chicanes. Mm-hmm. And which, to be fair, I think Stefano Domenicali, the one CEO, did say if they bring something to the table then we're quite happy because they don't... Up until this point, Formula 1 and AFI didn't have a recognised system for teams to apply. Mm. And that came to light when Andretti were like, could we come in? And they, and it came out saying, well, we don't have any kind of system. So now they've came out and said in the article that you've just mentioned that we're inviting teams and people to put a note of interest forward, similar to what a lot of the manufacturers are doing for the engines, power units, I should say, for 2026. You're allowed to put a note of interest in, which gives you a seat at the table for discussions about what's required, what needs to be done, and things like that. So it's the first time they've openly come out and said, we're quite happy for more people at the table, you know. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, and and as we spoke about Mario Andretti, it's only safe to assume that his name will certainly, well, his son's name, Michael Andretti, will certainly be one of those people putting their intentions forward. We spoke to to Mario who said, you know, start saving your, your pocket money because hopefully you'll be buying merchandise very soon. So that's, that sounds promising from him. And obviously with, with the kind of linking to this article that's dropped today or the articles that have dropped about this today from the FIA, it sounds positive. What what do you think, Connor? Are you, are you happy to see more teams at the table, more teams in the sport? My heart 100% says yes, because an extra team, it's two extra seats. It's another entity and it would be brilliant for a team for a manufacturer like Renault who could you know who don't currently supply engines to any other team apart from their own them themselves mm-hmm. as out. so there's potentially a link up there so that would be perfect it, it would be great for the sport to have an American team come in with the growth in America potentially an American driver as well you'd think Michael would want to bring across Colton Herter from IndyCar mm-hmm. and I think he has the the potential to be a to be a star in the states. However, my head, you know, F1 was in a difficult situation after COVID financially. Mm. And even before that, teams were, you know, F1 was a money pit for teams. It wasn't exactly a profitable business. But you know, with the cost cap and things coming in, that's definitely helped. However, these 10 teams, you know, it's a franchise that's working right now for with 10 teams financially. If you add another team, Yes, they pay the 200 million dilution fund, but how much that would upset the equilibrium right now that the teams have, I don't know. So my my heart definitely says it would be good, but my head, I don't know. And that's why there's been a little bit of resistance from Formula One in terms of they just want to keep the 10 teams for now. So mm. I, I would love to see Andretti on the grid they, because Andretti are a team that would do it properly in the right way, just like, for example, Jackie Stewart did, and when he came in with Ford in in the late in the late nineties. 
So what other teams do you expect to see trying to put their names forward? You said a big big brand there of Ford. There's, there's been speculation as, as to their desire to want to join, whether they join as just a, a t- kind of a title sponsor or whatever to, to one of the already established teams. But what other teams could you expect, Coops? There's rumours about Hyundai uh, coming in, mostly because Sarah Beatable has been hired to run their racing kind of part of the business. It's a very strenuous link. It's not exactly like... Yeah, okay, he's got a history of Formula One. Does that mean they're coming into Formula One? Probably not. Mm. But it's something. Uh I think I don't I don't know that that'd be a brilliant brand for it. Because they're not really in before. They're so... not a sports car brand, are they? They're a they're a family car brand. So I, I don't see that as a natural fit for it, the sport it's... personally. That's that's my own opinion. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be hard work for them. But the biggest one is probably Honda because Nobody knows their intention. They left, they were in, they were out, they were in, they were out, they were out, they're in. The Honda Kokikoki, as we like to call yes. it on, so, so on the it, show. It's been pretty clear that the Japanese kind of hierarchy within Honda pretty much realised that they, they, they pulled away from Formula 1 too soon. Uh, they, they decided to leave, then they, then they, Honda won their first championship with Verstappen in 2021, so they've left, but they've loaned out the IP for the for the power units, as we all know, kind of well covered. Uh, they've put a note of interest in for the engines or for the power units. Again, that's to be a seat at the table, but they've never actually came out fully. They've not fully dismissed it, and they've not fully said they are going to do it. So I would be very, I would not be surprised, especially in the cost cap era where it's a lot easier. You don't need to sink billions of dollars like Toyota did back in the mid two uh, thousands and not get anything back. You, mm. you don't have that anymore. And even with the power unit manufacturers, I mean, they're going to have cost cap limitation. So it's not your return to come into Formula One now, and your investment doesn't need to be what it was mm. to get something. And of course, with the you know the the kind of the the CFD time and how that's limited depending on where you place and things like that. So, uh, it's it's quite an exciting proposition for one of these brands, isn't it? Obviously, they've yes. got the dilution fund that kind of men- mentioned earlier, where they've got to pay two hundred million. Is it euros or dollars? I can't. Dollars. 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 Yeah. yeah. So they've got, they've got to pay that obviously to to be spread amongst the already established teams to protect their kind of obviously their, their interests of course so it's a, it's a, it is quite expensive but it's not as expensive as as what was once you know hundreds and hundreds of millions you know just to try and compete well, with I the mean, big boys the big you, all, even yeah. the big boys are they're, they're only going to have the same budget as you know the the new teams coming in at, at most mm. per year so it, it makes it quite an attractive proposition you look at the situation with Honda when they came in with the power units with McLaren, like the amount of investment and money they had to put in to try and get competitive, and it didn't work. And then they spent a couple of years, people forget that they spent a couple of years with Toro Rosso, which mm. is now Alfa Tauri, doing what they did at McLaren, but they were left to get on with it. And they just treated Alfa Tauri as their testing bed. And then when they worked out their kinks, they went to Aston Martin and, eh, not Aston Martin, sorry, Red Bull. And, you know, we've seen what's happened there. So there's no need for that, and the power units as well. Twenty twenty six are going to be are going to be simplified with the MGUH, which is if it's the MGUH, which I think it is, which yeah. is the most complicated, the most expensive part of the power unit, and that's the thing that Honda couldn't figure out, and it caused a lot of trouble, and that was the thing that stopped a lot of other manufacturers coming in. So if you get all of that, everything combining. It, yeah, you're right. I mean, Gene Haas refused to sell Haas because 
it actually works out better for them to have a Formula One car or a Formula One team that's not overly competitive as a market employee for his tool business mm. because of the cost cap era. So it work, It's on the face of it, it works. Uh, I would imagine there's quite a few more things they need to jump through, you know, behind the scenes and structures and stuff like that, infrastructure and things to make sure they get the pass to get through. But, you know. Yeah, and as we mentioned, I think we mentioned it on the end of that Andretti podcast, there was that billionaire, was it a Chinese billionaire or? Justin Liu. Yeah, he, he he's, or Japanese he's at, or. Yeah, or... He's, he's Hong Kong. It's Hong Kong. And he's actually already linked to Formula One because it's his, his investors are part of Donaldson Capital that own Williams. Right, so he's okay. linked in that sense to him, to them, not him solely, but he's part of it. There's not a lot about him as a person. He's very, he's very, what would you call it? Reclusive in terms of him as a person. He's made his money. He uses investors. He uses other things to bring things in. So, yeah, he's he's spoke about it. Uh, but again, whether that comes to anything, I don't know. But he's got a taste of Formula One Williams. Uh, yeah, but see, th- these are the names that I am less kind of excited about, though. I, I thought I'd mention it just to bring it up. Uh, I'm mm. less excited about names like that than I am uh, about names like Andretti. That names are you know of established motorsports teams that are maybe in other sports or whatever. Porsche, I mean, Porsche is always still on the table. You know, they haven't completely ruled out a move to F1. One thing F1 needs to be careful of with manufacturers is that man- manufacturers, their first priority is to make profits in the road car industry. Racing is a secondary byproduct. It's the old adage, isn't it? Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Mm. Racing isn't a priority, it's a luxury. However, for a team like Andretti, it's much more that their their only goal is to go racing. It's like, that's it. Mm -hmm. So manufacturers come and go, and that can affect the complexion of the sport. And we saw it, you know, the manufacturer boom in the early 2000s, you know, it it eventually, eventually slowly dwindled away. And F1 needs to be careful of that. And if there's another financial crisis, for example, that, that that doesn't happen, it needs to protect needs to protect itself from the manufacturers in a way. Obviously, Audi are coming in and, and it's a long-term project, but manufacturers do come and go. I mean, look at Honda. So F1 needs to be careful in that sense. But I think, you know, with the increased electrification, with the, as Coop said, the, the cost cap for the power units as well, the removal of the MGUH has made... And the F1's growing popularity has, has made entering the sport an attractive, something very attractive for big man, big OEMs that it wasn't, let's say, five years ago. So mm. it's heading in the right direction. But F1 does need to be careful. So that's the news of, obviously, FIA opening up to, to, to new teams. That's exciting for me. I think it's a great, great thing. Because, you know, 20, 20 cars is good, but I go back to kind of, I'd like to go back to the old days of 26 cars and, you know, as long as they're competitive, as, as Coop said earlier, and, and this cost cap era is the perfect opportunity for, for more teams to be competitive right from the off as soon as they come in, really, especially if they can buy engines from, you know, Mercedes or, or, or wherever. Let's talk about some other news then. Connor, have you seen any other news that you'd like to chat about today? I would say in motorsport.com, there was a recent interview with James Key and Andrea Stella. Um, and they spoke about how McLaren, uh, how the 18, the new 18-inch wheel rims negatively affected their car and how they struggled to mitigate the, the factors of that. 
you know, obviously the the way the the tire interacts with the road is different. It's a thinner mm-hmm. sidewall. It and, and and one of the limitations that both Key and Stella said that potentially affected Ricardo negatively was the the understeer balance of these new these new tires, mm. and that Norris was able to to essentially drive around that much better than Ricardo was, and that's possibly one of the reasons why Ricardo isn't doesn't have a seat next year. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, no other teams have really mentioned that, and ha- well, everyone's had the same challenge of having to drive with these new eighteen-inch wheels. But clearly, McLaren got it wrong on that front. Coops, you got anything to add about that? Yeah, uh, to me, it sounds a bit like James Key just trying to mitigate the fact he made a mistake. I mean, he, he got the car wrong. It's clear they got it wrong. They made they made a fundamental error with the the, the balance, the brakes. Which caused issue with regards to downforce. They had they couldn't they couldn't run it as low to the ground with these new ground effect cars because if they did, they'd overheat the brakes. The brakes wouldn't last to the end of the, the race because the the cool they, they misjudged the cooling. So yeah, sounds a wee bit like I mean, there's nine other teams and none of them have come out and went, "Oh, see these eighteen inch wheels." I don't like them. Uh, it made, it made a bit of a problem, you know. It was the team that the car didn't quite work right. They went, oh, you know. Uh, so, you, so you're thinking it's a bit of a excuses, excuses. I, th- I think there's just probably an element to it, but then let's not forget Ricardo wasn't on the pace in 2021, and they didn't have yeah. 18-inch wheels then. So, yeah. the McL- you know, the McLaren car fundamentally didn't work for him, and maybe the 18-inch wheels didn't help. Maybe the new regulations didn't help. I don't think that's the main rule. I think there's a wee bit of you know smoke and mirrors with McLaren to try and get them away from the fact that the car just wasn't designed effectively. But, you know, who am I? That, that car definitely did have a certain type of characteristic that Norris was able to drive around much better than Ricardo was. And I think if you give a Ricardo a car with a much pointier front end, a bit of a looser rear end, I think you'd see him a lot closer to Norris. And I think that's... I'm not, I'm not making an excuse for Ricardo. I'm not saying that's the reason why Norris completely obliterated him, but I think that's certainly something that to keep in mind is that whether Ricardo's lost it or not, I don't know, but I think there's certainly reasons for the dip in form, especially this season. And I think the the 18 inch ties definitely have a, an effect, have, have definitely had an effect this year because he's been further off this year than he was at any point last year. He was completely nowhere this year. And he did get a win the previous year, 2021, albeit probably quite fluky, given the circumstances. Okay, Coops, have you got any other news articles that you'd like to discuss on this very probably short first podcast of 2023? Uh, Well, I did notice something when I was having a quick look there. Total Wolf came out and explained the reason why Mercedes pulled out of Formula E. Mm, now, uh, they, left, they left at the end of last season or the season before. I can't remember my timings. Uh, Nick De, was it Nick DeVries that won for Mercedes? I yes. Think. So, yeah, they, they lost. Formula E as a series lost a couple of their, their, their kind of marquee manufacturers. I think Audi went, I think, uh, and Mercedes all around about the same time. BMW, I think, was another one. Basically, what Total Wolf has come out and said that the low TV numbers and the, the low return on investment because of the subsequent low TV numbers meant it just wasn't viable for them, which is quite an interesting thing. And I think something that Formula E as a series need to 
take Stockholm. Mm. Now, I, I, for, I, forward, I followed Formula, One, uh, Formula E a wee bit more seriously in the last couple of years, but even I got confused, like, you know, where's where's qualifying? Where's that getting shown again? All oh, right, it's on their website. You mean, oh, oh it's Eurosport, or it's, you know, mm. uh, and then it was sometimes it was on BBC's red button and then Channel 4 took it, and it was a bit muddled. It was like, just pick a channel and be clear where it's going to be. I think they should put it on YouTube, get get a live broadcast on YouTube and just promote the hell out of it on there. That's, that's yeah, genuinely... I mean, you can do your you do your main race days on your channel four. You've got Dario Franchetti commenting. Yeah. Get those guys on the race day on channel four. But as you say, YouTube it fire it on YouTube rather than your website and make sure people know that it's there. Mm. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem. Uh you know, formally you've got a bit of work to do anyway. The the new gen three have not started as well as it should. Yeah, there's been a lot of reliability issues, a lot of things going on. But it's a very it's a very good looking season coming up, which is actually starting in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. You know, you've got Maserati in there, a lot of driver changes, a lot of teams changing over and amalgamating together and things like that. And, you know, a lot of movement even behind the scenes in teams. So there's a lot going on and it's a new car, uh, which are more powerful. And they're dropping gimmicks. They're dropping the whole driver boost, uh, fan, uh, yeah, yeah. fan driver the boost. Fan, the fan boost, yeah, that mm. was when you... You got people to vote, and then they got an extra certain <laughs> amount of power. Problem yeah. was, it was the same group of drivers that got it because they were more popular. Your guys mm. that drove like the Neo three 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 at the back of the grid never got it. Uh, so yeah, that kind of gimmick, and I think that was dropped more because it didn't, for what it was, it didn't make much of an effect in the race. Mm. People got the fan boost; it didn't do much in terms of passing or closing the racing up. You know, you've got that attack mode that they use, and it has worked. You know, you've got a bit of strategy elements, and I think they've, I think they've, they've tweaked that rule to give more strategic uh, opportunities for teams because it was stuck in a. You had to use a certain amount by this point in the race, a certain amount by that point in the race, and if memory serves me right, they've opened that up. So teams can decide to bank it and use nine minutes if it is nine minutes, for example, at the end of the race, or they can, you know, they can spread it out a bit more. Uh, so, in essence, Formula E has a good product, but they've kind of dropped a ball in certain points, and I think that epitomises the issue. If you've got a manufacturer going, there's not enough eyes on this. Mm. Why are we spending this money on this? And also from a Formula One perspective, McLaren's in it this year coming. You know. You know, so they hopefully they see it as constructive and they look at it and work out a way to deal with it and focus it more. Because once you get past the fact it's all electric, and yes, the noise of the power units isn't the greatest when you first start listening to it, because I was the same. It's got some good racing. I mean, yeah. you can go to like some Monaco and actually have passing in Monaco in a really entertaining race. Mm. They're doing something right. So, you know, for anyone listening to this, give it a shot. It's worth it. Yeah, it, and there's some great drivers in there, you know, really talented drivers, ex-F1 drivers and drivers from all over motorsport. Just It's just a really entertaining series. I, I, again, was very reluctant until the last couple of seasons where, and I've been watching it a lot more. You, kind of, you're nodding your head as well. Are you, you similar? Yeah, I just, I'd just like to add, I've, I've, when Formula E, I was a lot younger when Formula E first came out, but I started initially watching it. It was a new form of motorsport, but... I immediately after the first season, first couple of seasons, switched off. I just, especially when they started in the gimmicks, that's when I was really put off by it, and mm. I've refused to watch it since. But I think one thing, a reason why Formula E's 
losing manufacturers is I know they've gained McLaren, you know, and, and things, and but they've lost Mercedes. Is that you know, Formula One is increasing electrification in 2026. So Formula One is immediately a more attract is a more attractive option with the cost cap and things like that. It's become more attractive over the years as well. You've got Le Mans Hyper, Le Mans Daytona hypercar with the balance of performance. It's it's a more attractive viable option for manufacturers now, these other categories. And I'd just like to add another series at Crossroad is IndyCar mm. because they're, you know, they've delayed their new hybrids to 2024 and they put it, they're going to put the hybrids along with the current engines and the engines are, well, I mean, these engines have, have been around since 2012. Mm. So they're at a bit of a crossroads in what they want to do. They've got two manufacturers. It's hard to attract new manufacturers when there's other series like this, this late transition to hybrid. So there's a couple of series at a crossroads, a major global motorsport series who are at a crossroads and it's all to do with what the series are doing and also the, how, in IndyCar's case, how late they've bought in the hybrid element, which has been at the forefront of all motorsport series because that is the way forward, increased electrification. That's what's going to get these big manufacturers to invest. Um Unfortunately, because I'm a, I'm a purist. We purist. all are at heart. We all no, are at heart. I'm through, but you have to accept the fact that the world moves on, I guess. And yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I, I, I say the, the racing is really enjoyable. If you if you switch it back on again, Connor, I, I think you probably would enjoy a lot of these races now. Obviously, yeah. you, you, you gotta keep keep abreast of the of the news that comes from from the series. I've seen a I've seen a few I've seen a couple of races. I I, I try and keep up with the highlights, but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 been hard for me ever since the gimmicks and things. It's been hard to accept it but I, I appreciate why it's there and and the job it is doing and and it has in, in, you know it has had a lot of manufacturers you know invest and it is a good product it is i can see why it is a good product any other news stories that we need to touch on or shall we call that our first podcast of 2023 fernando alonso is officially now an aston martin driver they tweeted out very kind of look who's here Mm-hmm. According to somebody in the team, Oscar, he thinks Fernando Alonso is going to leave halfway through the season when he realised what a mistake he's made again <laughs> during 2023. We've also got, I think in a couple of days' time, I think it's the 6th or the 9th of the 1st, Basur will head in to Maranello for the start of his uh, end of his career as a team principal. <laughs> uh, the start of the end. Can I just say, but that is a... In my opinion, I don't know about you guys, but that for me was the wrong decision. That's that's what classic Ferrari does when it doesn't have success. I agree with you, kind of. I, I was shunned before Christmas when I mentioned that. <laughs> if you look at whenever Ferrari have been successful, they've had continuity. Then you know, in the seventies, you had you know Luca de Montezello. Luca de Montezemolo was there. Sorry. And then you have had Mauro, Mauro Foggieri. And them two, I mean, 70s is a completely different era, but them two worked hand in hand. They were together throughout the 70s and what they produced was Ferrari winning many titles. And then you look at the when John Todd came in, it took time. He had to, you know, bring in Michael in and then bring in Rory Byrne and Ross Braun over. That took time as well to build. Mm. Whenever they've done the mass firings, whenever you know, if you look at when Prost was there firing Prost, and 
and firing Furio and then looking more recent times with Domenico Carli and uh, Mattiacci and Ariba Bene. It's whenever Ferrari don't have continuity, like any other team, they don't, they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And, and if they're going to, if they're going to win, they're going to need to stick it out. But, but Fersir is going to have less power. There's going to be more power from the, from the top in Ferrari, from the board. And it's, it's, I don't know. I've not got a good feeling about the fact that fact because whenever Ferrari have intervention from non-racing people, it doesn't end well. Coops, you're you're kind of shaking your head, or you, you do you agree or disagree? I've watched Formula One now since the early nineties, and it's always been, and even before that, it's always been politics. You know, there's always Ferrari and politics go hand in hand. Uh, is Fred Vasseur the right choice? I mean, he's not got the exact same role as Bonotto's got now. You know, he was the managing director, a team manager, as well as the team principal. There was a couple, it was an amalgamation of a couple of positions from Bonotto, whereas, you know, Fred Vazur had the team principal position. You know, he's there to oversee the man management of it all. And I think the problem was Bonotto wanted to do a Mercedes-style setup where it's a blameless culture. When they made a mistake, they owned it, but they dealt with it as a team. Whereas mm. Ferrari, if you made a mistake, you got sacked as an individual. <laughs> So he wanted to ha- he wanted to bring in the Mercedes way of working, but I don't think he quite brought it in exactly how it was. It was similar to the case in point. The everyone knew they made a mistake in Hungary with the tires. He said the strategy team don't need fixing. They kind of do. It doesn't mean you fire them. It means you sort it. You, mm. you don't need to fire someone to sort a problem. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name at Mercedes, but he's he comes out in the videos and he says, as James Allison might be, might be wrong. He would come out and say, yeah, we've done this. That was my decision. We got that wrong. We'll fix it. So it's about accountability, but not that threat of if, I'm, if I make that my mistake and I own that, I'm going to be seen and I'm going to be shown the door. Mm. That's the biggest problem in Ferrari. Hopefully Fred Vasseur can bring that in and explain that more to the board. Now, the the people that make mistakes will deal with their consequences, but it won't be a case of they're losing their job. We just have to deal with how we fix it and how you get it done. You know, uh, and also the other side of it to play more of a devil's advocate. Bonotto was not the current board's man. He was in before they came on board. Any situation you look at when it comes to even football, right down to Formula One, you people come in. They want their own man, mm. and Bonotto knew this. Because he made that decision to go because he knew he wasn't getting the backup. He wasn't getting what he wanted. That's what I mean by, you know, he's got a, he's assumed a different role to Bonotto. Yep. And that's what I that's where I think the power dynamic is is gonna come from ben, uh, Von Vigna and Elkman, is that they're gonna have more power over the team. And when non-racing people have a have more power over the racing team, I don't think that works. That mm. never works. You need to have, you need to have a, a, the racing people in place. I, I would like to think that Vasseur being a principal for so long and being around for so long now, he was team principal for a very short time at Renault yeah. slash Benetton. And that went wrong very quickly for very similar political reasons. Nothing to do with him. He came in, there was a power struggle, he was released. Yeah. A very similar situation now. I would hope that someone who he's got a very calm exterior and a very much like very kind of easy kind of easy going person, but from all intents and purposes, he he has the steel about him. He's not going to be a team principal for the length he is, even at Salva, not having that steel and being able to you know 
flip a few folk into shape. So you would like to think that, look, and the worst thing Ferrari can do is screw up another team principal situation because the Formula One paddock and us, even we'll see that they're meddling and they can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Especially now with the, the the things I've seen with it came like it came out near the end of the season that the the reason they were so off the pace wasn't because the tires were so bad or the you know the, the degradation in the tires that chewed it up. It was because they had to turn down the power unit because of reliability over the smaller turbo, which meant they had to then be more aggressive on the tires, which meant they wore a lot more. They've solved that. That was costing them three tenths a lap on the power unit alone. And they're saying they've fixed that. Yeah, there's there's been whispers of that that this new engine is 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 an absolute rocket. I do remember it stuck in my head because mm. if you think three tenths a lap, and that was a good qualifying car. Now you think that they can nail the qualifying, which they already did, and then they've got the viability to go for the rest the end of the season. You know that Mercedes aren't going to make another mistake like they did last year. They spent a year fixing their mistake and knowing mm. we fundamentally got this wrong, we're going to fix it. You've got Red Bull, who, yes, they're going to be hampered by their, their issues with their, 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 their cost cap penalties and the lack of CFD, but they've already got a good foundation. So I'm hedging my bets here, but I'm going to put it out there. I think we're going to have a decent three-way fight next year or this season coming because if Ferrari have already got a good aerodynamics they set up with the car, they've fixed the power unit, they've got Leclerc, who we know is good. We've got Sainz, who is decent, who's getting better, he's understood the car second half of the season was really good he's got his race win that monkey's off the back I mean personally if I remember right when the list that Sean one of the other guys and everything F1 asked is I think Mercedes have got one of the best team lineups and drivers because they're so they're so uh, they're so evenly matched yep like you, you look at you look at Ferrari, it's Leclerc up the top, quite a wee bit further down. You've got Carlos Sainz for start and Perez, similar thing. But when you look at Hamilton and Russell, they're very good at the top, but they're very good together in terms of the level eh, mm. where they're performing. So you fling all that together. And if Ferrari can keep things where they should in terms of getting the strategies right, understanding and reading the room in terms of strategy, going out when it's dry and intermediates in Brazil. I mean, hello. <laughs> uh, the only way that would have happened is if I didn't press the button in Formula 122 quite right and sent it out by mistake. You know, it should just never have happened in real life. <laughs> uh, you know, but these are things that can be fixed at Ferrari. I think I think it's, it's not a stellar appointment for Ferrari, but who else would you pick? Hmm. Like, True. Andre Seidel wasn't going there. He was going over to when he's went. He's been he was going there at the end of his contract, but they rushed it because for sure like, you know, Horner and Wolf aren't leaving because they part own the the, the teams that they that they, they look after. Uh, you know, so who else would you get in? And would Ferrari want to go outside, like, you know, and bring in a Capito like Williams did or, you know, jump over to another series and grab somebody. I don't know. So I'd just like to add, you know, they, they did have to turn on the edge and they did have the smaller turbo. That really affected them in Mexico, I remember, and the high altitude circuits. Mm. But one thing in defence of Ferrari's reliability issues this year is that obviously we have the engine freeze and to make up time, Ferrari perhaps had to aggressively develop that engine Knowing that they were allowed to, they were allowed to make reliability adjustments. Obviously, you, 
if you could prove to the FIA it's purely for reliability, you're allowed to make a change. And also, yeah, you, you imagine Ferrari proving that oh. to the FIA. Do you know that they just went, look, it's on fire. They bother. <laughs> on, on top of, yeah, well, of course, yeah, but it's, yeah, especially that Austrian with science, yeah. But yeah. just like I, I, another thing, what potentially cost them performance was the technical directive at Spa because Ferrari were one of the teams that was allowing, well, I believe from the reports I've heard that Ferrari were one of the teams that were allowing the plank to flex up into the floor and therefore get the car lower, which is obviously what you what you want to get the car as low as to the ground as possible with mm-hmm. these bodies that cause to find performance. And I think after, after that, after Technical Directive 39, Ferrari lost performance because of that. And another thing is as well with the Ferraris, it was a very, very good qualifying car. But one of those reasons was, is that it got its front up much more to temperature than the Red Bull could. And the Red Bull was a little bit overweight at the start of the season anyway. They were on a big weight-saving program throughout the year. And eventually, as that weight came off, that bled, that weight bled off, the car naturally became quicker and was more attuned to the Stappen style. So it was always going to go away from Ferrari. I think they were a little bit flattered at the start of the season hmm. when Red Bull were having the struggles. Obviously, Mercedes were absolutely nowhere. So I think in their defence, I don't think it, it was a a poor development run. I just think that the other teams were destined to catch up anyway, because they were, they were struggling and Ferrari had a car that, that wasn't the fastest car at the start of the season. As I say, with the, especially in qualifying, with being able to get the front temperature much quicker than on the outlap than the Red Bull and the Mercedes could, which really helped them. And they have a monster qualifier in Leclerc anyway. So yeah, I think they were a little bit flattered, but they, they, they did what they set out to do. What Benotto set out to do is win races. They didn't set out to win the championship in 2022. That was a, a later goal. So that's this year Cummins the goal to win the championship, I think, in the previous kind of I think 22 was win races, 23 was championship. So yeah. You know, so it'll st- be still on track then, hopefully, for mm-hmm. uh, Ferrari. I think we need it really. I, I, no. I, although, although I don't support Ferrari as my main team, I, I try and remain as non-biased as possible. It's very difficult as I've followed kind of the British side of Formula One for my whole life. But I think, like Sebastian Vettel said, everyone's a Ferrari fan at heart because Ferrari is so intertwined into the sport of Formula One. It'd be good for the sport to have a Ferrari championship, just, you know, to break that duck. Anyway, I think we've probably chatted a lot about that. We probably extended this podcast longer than we thought we were going to at the start of it because there hasn't been loads and loads of news. But make sure every one of you are following us on all our social platforms because we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and at the handle at JoinEF1. You can, of course, visit our website, www.everythingf1.com, where we post articles on a daily basis to keep you up to date with all the latest breaking news and opinions from around the paddock. You can also subscribe to this podcast itself on your favourite podcast streaming service to get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. I will say it once more, but Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. Everything F1 have got loads of things planned for the year. Loads of great guests lined up. 
We're also going to be shifting our race review podcasts to the Sunday after the race. So it'll be dropped immediately on Facebook on the night and then obviously edited overnight for, for a release on the Monday morning for you to get opinions on the race straight away as early as possible. And we will still have our weekly podcasts on the Tuesday nights that we do obviously stream on Facebook also. And again, get those out on the Wednesday morning. So loads of content for you via podcasts, loads of content via our social platforms and loads of content via our website as well. So we look forward to your interactions with us. Uh, thank you very much to Coops and Connor for coming to chat to me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you very thank much. You. Cheers. I've been James Tiller. This is the Everything Everyone podcast. We'll speak to you next week about all the latest news that drops throughout the week. Bye-bye.